You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. history, different cultures have served an array of gods. And if you read anything about different cultures and the gods they serve, uh, so many times they'd have, you know, this God and that God and this God and sometimes lots of them, but they usually had a chief God. He was the mighty God. He was the one among all the gods. When God says here, when God says here, you shall have no other gods before me, he's not saying, I want to be the chief of all your gods. No, he's saying, I'm the only true God. You don't worship anybody else or anything else but me. Today, Pastor Danny will share a little history lesson with you. During the biblical time period, most cultures were polytheistic. Polytheistic meaning that they served many gods. So while a particular culture might have hundreds of gods, each culture traditionally had a chief god that ruled over all of the other gods. Our time now is not really any different. We might not have physical idols for our gods, but what is the god of your life? Is it money? Maybe power? You know what your idol is, so place Jesus on the throne of your heart. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Exodus chapter 19 as he begins his message, The Law and Salvation. Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. It's a video, a documentary my wife and I watched a few years ago called In Search of the Real Mount Sinai. Uh, It was fascinating. Uh, fascinating. So I know you guys are going to be running in there to try to see if it's still there because I think we only have one of them uh, to rent out. Maybe you can find it if you want to view it because the real Mount Sinai uh, is in Arabia. We know that from Galatians chapter 4 verse 25. If you go on a tour to Israel and you go to the Mount Sinai in Israel, that's not the Sinai of the Bible because again, Galatians 4:25 says uh, the Mount Sinai is talking about here, Arabia, but it doesn't matter. It's still a fascinating video if you ever get a hold of it. Verse 3, then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you're to say to the house of Jacob and what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Holy nation. These are the words you're to speak to the Israelites. Now, that's interesting, and you might want to just pin down First uh, Peter 2, 9 and 10. not going to read it, not going to go to it, but Peter says the same thing about us, about the church, that we're 
the kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. Now here's their response. Before they even know all that God's going to say, the people all responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. That's important. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the people what, uh, told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Catch this. This is interesting. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. I, I, I underline that. Be ready by the third day. I think that's important for tonight. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai. He's going to come down to where they are in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Why? Because a holy God is coming down on this mountain. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Don't miss that one. Nobody's going to go right up to him. You're going to get him from a distance. Okay? Not a hand is to be laid on him. In other words, he's mine. <laughs> Whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Wow. Only uh, when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, may they go up to the mountain. Now, they're not to go up the mountain, but go and approach the mountain. But they're to stay away, keep a distance, even though they're there. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves. Here it is. Here it is again. Prepare yourselves for the third day, because on the third day, God's coming to you. Abstain from sexual relations. And this is not talking about immoral sexual relations. This is the normal physical relationship between a husband and wife. So this is a very holy, solemn, serious occasion. Even the normal things in life abstain from because your focus is to be on the Lord. He's coming to you. Here it is again. On the morning of the third day. Three times God says that. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. New Testament tells us even Moses trembled with fear. And if you were there, and if I were there, we would have been knocking knees with them. God comes down. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. And they started shaking. It doesn't say it, but I'm sure they did more and more. 
Before we read on, let me just throw out a couple of scriptures. Hebrews 10.31 says, It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 12.28-29 says, Let us worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Stop there just for a minute. Can you imagine? Don't answer me out loud. Let's think about it for a minute. I'm going I'm to give you some scripture. What does God's voice sound like? Uh, you can just write this one down. I'll read it for you, and, I, and then we'll turn to a couple of other ones. Revelation chapter 1, when John sees Jesus Christ in all of his glory, his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. How many of you have been to Niagara Falls? I've only been once, but I'll never, ever forget that sound. And every time I read about the voice of God, I think about Niagara Falls. Like the sound of rushing waters. John chapter 12. Keep a marker in Exodus. John chapter 12, you find a place. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. So cool. Verse 27, Jesus said, my heart is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. I can't do it. And we'll glorify it again, but thanks for the background uh, illustration tonight, Father. Um, I, I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it, heard the voice, said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. But the Bible tells us the Father spoke. God spoke. This booming, thunderous voice. Now, does he always speak like that? No. No. How do I know that? You can write down, well, I'll just turn to it quickly. 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah running from Jezebel. They're depressed in the cave uh, after a tremendous ministry moment on, on, you know, Mount Carmel there, defeating all the false prophets and God coming down, showing himself by fire to be the true God. Uh, but here he is depressed and in a cave. And, uh, you know, God doesn't, well, I'll just read it. Verse 11, 1 Kings 19, the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. And a voice said to Elijah, what are you doing here? So why is he speaking with such a thunderous sound of rushing water's voice? We'll hold that one for a minute. Back in Exodus 19, verse 20. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai, called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, go down. And warn the people so that they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priest 
who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. Verse 23, Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain, set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, go down, bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went to the people and told them. And then chapter 20. And God spoke all these words. Now, I don't know this. I don't know this. But if I'm a betting man, in light of what we just read, the voice that he speaks these words, it's not nice and soft like he spoke to Elijah, his servant. No, it's the big, booming, rushing waters. That's what I believe. Either way, either way, same message. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God. I don't know if he said it that way, but I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, throughout history, different cultures have served an array of gods. And if you read anything about uh, different cultures and the gods they serve, uh, so many times they'd have, you know, this God and that God and this God and sometimes lots of them. But they usually had a chief God. He was the mighty God. He was the one among all the gods. When God says here, when God says here, you shall have no other gods before me. He's not saying I want to be the chief of all your gods. No, he's saying I'm the only true God. You don't worship anybody else or anything else but me. I'm the only one. Everything else is false. There were four prominent gods in the ancient world. One is Baal or Baal. He was the god of fertility, but especially of sexuality. He promised sexual satisfaction, but he was incapable of delivering because it was immoral. In Israel's idolatry, it's just fascinating even to look at uh, people like one of Saul's sons. And I'm just going to give you the reference in 1 Chronicles chapter 8, verses 33 and 34. One of Saul, the king's sons, was named uh, Eshbaal. He's also known as Ishbosheth, uh, but they also called him Eshbael because in Israel's idolatry, they would actually mix the name of uh, a false god like Baal with the names of their kids. Even Jonathan, uh, fascinating. Uh, Mephibosheth was also known as Meribel. Quick little pause. Numbers chapter 25. Numbers chapter 25, when... Balaam taught Balak how to entice the Israelites. Uh, it says, verse 1, While Israel was staying at Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women, who invited them to the sacrifices of their gods. The people ate and bowed down before these gods. So Israel joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor. Folks, Baal's still around. You might not, not know him in our culture by the name Baal, but he's here. He's in the church, unfortunately. Revelation 2.14, you have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed idols and by committing sexual immorality. A second, I love the background. I'm just so thankful to the Father for the background tonight. You know, I mean, just how can you plan that? Moloch or Molech, he was the god of pleasure. Uh, Solomon, in his testimony of the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, Ecclesiastes 2.10, just listen to it. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. 
Solomon was the been there, done that kind of guy. He's the richest man we know of in the history of the world, as far as I know. And he went away from God and tried everything the world had to offer. And uh, one of the things was he just, he just immersed himself in whatever pleasure he could buy or have that the world offered. But he learned something. Ecclesiastes 7.4, he says, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Then there's a God of mammon. Jesus specifically mentioned this God in Luke 16, 13. No servant can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one, love the other, or he'll hold to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Uh, Solomon learned about this one too. Again, rich dude. Uh, he wrote in Ecclesiastes 5, 10, whoever loves money never has money enough. You bow to this God? None of these gods will ever satisfy Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. And then the fourth popular god, uh, one of the main popular ones, was Ashtaroth. This is the goddess of the moon, love, romance, fertility. Uh, she's tied in a lot with Baal, uh, and they often are associated together, and some believe that Ashtaroth was Baal's wife. Uh, this would include just the dream of finding the right person and having the family, but there's no real true God in your life. It's just, you know, romance and having kids, and you think that's where it's at. Okay, back to the text. Verse 23, chapter 19. Oh, wait a minute. I, I just had a senior moment, but I'm back on it now. <laughs> Exodus 20. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. No idols. Why? Because God's a jealous God. Now, don't think of his jealousy on our terms, on human terms. It's crazy. No. God's not jealous of us. He's jealous for us. Uh, James 4.4, 4, again, just listen to it. James says, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? And then 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2 uh, listen to what Paul says. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. You link that with just the one verse I mentioned in James. And look, worshiping anything or anyone other than the only true God is spiritual adultery. So have no other gods before me. Don't make an idol in the form of anything and bow down to it. And then before we move on, I want to deal very quick, quickly with the punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Some people still today teach these, in the church teach these generational curses that just come on you and you're a Christian. It's ridiculous. I'm just telling you it's ridiculous. It's not biblical. You want to know the truth about this? All you got to do is focus on of those who hate me versus showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me. And there's the difference in these two people he's talking about and the generational things that are passed down. If you've got a genera generational curse in your family, here's what you need to do. If you don't know Jesus Christ, repent and receive Jesus Christ. And guess what? That curse is gone. Listen, that's, that's, uh, you get, 
I'm not going to get worked up on this one, but I get so, I get hopefully righteously indignant when people talk about these generational curses for people that really have Christ living in them. It's ridiculous. Galatians 2.13 says that Christ redeemed us from any curse by becoming a curse for us. I have no curse on me because I know Christ. And nobody can put a curse on me. That's why Balaam couldn't put a curse on Israel. That's all I have to say about that. Verse 7, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. I don't know how you've been doing so far. <laughs> One of my favorite shows, I, I, I usually go home after a Saturday night service and get at least 30 minutes of uh, a cop's fix. I watch cops. My wife don't want to watch it with me. That's okay. I go out in the patio and I got a little TV out there and I watch cops. It's the real world. You know how many times the cops apprehend somebody? And they go, I swear to God, I swear to God, I swear to God, I didn't do it. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. 99,000 out of the next number of them are lying. I swear to God, I didn't do it. And then you hear people saying Jesus Christ, but you know how most people are saying Jesus Christ. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. Okay. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, your maidservant, manservant, maidservant, animals, alien uh, within your gates. It's just somebody from another country. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, all that's in them. But he rested on the, on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Keep the Sabbath. Um, The Israelites repeatedly broke this commandment. They not only failed to rest one day a week, but um, their work on the Sabbath was motivated by greed. They just wanted more. And in doing so, they also didn't trust the Lord to give them enough in the six days of work and just rest on the seventh day. They violated it repeatedly. If you look at verse 12, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you so that either they don't kill you or God doesn't kill you. Ephesians 6, where it uh, encourages this, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. First, the first commandment, he's talking about the Ten Commandments, with a promise that you may live long on the earth. Uh, verse 13, pretty easy to understand, you shall not murder. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Now, Jesus gave a, a, a fresh revelation on that one uh, because he said in Matthew 5, 28, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in her heart. That kind of blows most of us guys out of the water. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, or you could say you shall not lie. Don't, don't raise your hand. How are you doing? How you doing with these commandments? Yeah, right. Uh, how about this last one? You shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, his manservant, maidservant, Lamborghini, his ox, um, motorcycle, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Anything, anything that belongs to your neighbor. All right. They're not 10 suggestions, they're 10 commandments. And the people already agree. We'll obey whatever the Lord says. Okay, here it is right here. Here's the foundation. We're gonna, okay, we'll do it. <laughs>
Thanks for joining Pastor Danny today in his journey through Exodus, a book about deliverance. This Old Testament book reveals God's power and authority, but it also expresses God's heart to fulfill His promises. God does what He says He'll do, and nothing can stand in His way. If there's anything about today's message that has you scratching your head in confusion, feel free to contact us. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Let us know too how we can be praying for you. That address again is info at ccfstpete.church. If you're not already part of a church community, we want to encourage you to find a church home near you. This will be a place where you can grow in your faith and ask tough questions, while also finding a community of believers that will support you. If you're in the St. Petersburg area, come join Pastor Danny at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We're holding services each Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 and 11. If you can't make it in person, you can still be a part of our time of worship via live stream. You'll find all the information you need on our website. One more time, that's ccfstpete.church. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll join us again for our next edition in the book of Exodus, right here on The Living Word.